Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Inspired Evolution. This is your host, Amrit Sandhu, and I'm here today. I have the immense honor and the absolute pleasure to be here with Sam and my Sam Zill. And uh, Sam, in his bio, is as you'll come to really notice shortly, is a very, very... I think we connect because humility is a cornerstone value of... Uh, of Sam's, which is, I really connect with that. Um, but in his bio, he writes, he's a naturopath by vocation, but really he's just a human interested in what it means to be a human. Um, to give you a little bit more than that, listeners, is uh, Sam owns and is the co-founder of the Urban Wellness Project, which is, you know what, I've got Sam here. Let's have Sam explain what the Urban Wellness Project is. Hey, I'm Ren. Um, thanks for that uh, gracious introduction. Uh, the Urban Wellness Project. Um, look, essentially the core values that sort of went into, you know, to starting this project was, I don't know, I guess the idea that good for you means good for the community and good for the environment. You know, when you start to dig around your own well-being, eventually you reach a place where you realise that, that, that everything is that interconnected and if you want to be healthy, you want to be well, then you need to live in a healthy community, you need to live in a healthy culture and that's connected to a healthy environment and good for you is good for the people, is good for the planet, there is no difference and so that was kind of the motivating force behind this. So we've started a health food store or a natural therapies clinic that's very much geared towards reducing packaging and supporting local business and deepening people connect people's connection with you know with with their wellness through herbal medicine through nutrition through meditation through whatever practice it is for them you know like uh, for me naturopathy has always just been you know, a, um, I guess like a, an, a question, like a, what does living well mean? Yeah, right, because like as a naturopathy is, is quite, um, I think when I think about a naturopath, it's not someone, there's nothing clearly defined that comes up. Yeah. You know, it, it seems broad. Um, I, I, I don't really want to use the term loose, um, but it seems broad mm-hmm. and it seems... It has this essence of all-encompassing sort of vibe to it that it tries to take on, you know, more of a holistic, I guess is the word that I'm looking for, holistic sort of view towards things. Yeah, well, I guess it's kind of like a, a bit like I was saying before, when you get holistic about everything, you find out about this interconnectedness. But, I mean, what I love about naturopathy and why I'm being, you know, I love it and I'm still interested after 10 years practicing is... um. <clears throat> is it's everything from the esoteric to the biomedical. You can read research, you can look at studies, clinical trials, and you can also, you know, if you want to 
and you're more interested in crystals or homeopathy, you know, you can bring what you want to bring. So basically you have these foundations of looking at health or wellness or people in a certain way and then you can use whatever modality you want to help that person. So the more you know about yourself, the more you know about the various things in life, the more you can bring to your practice. And you can explore everything from the very esoteric to the very scientific reductionist mm. and all of that sits under that heading because I guess like I said for me fundamentally naturopathy is just a big question what does living well mean you know and I'm interested in that personally so then just having a vocation that supports supports that then I just feel blessed that I can <clears throat> go around living my life trying to work out what it means to be human and a good human and make the most of this human journey and then share it with others you know it's beautiful yeah brilliant so the question is what does living well mean yeah yeah that's a yeah, that's a brilliant a that's a brilliant question yeah um look i for me what i've learned over the years is that it, it's a question it's perpetual yeah it's not like i've ever had that moment where I've arrived you know if anything one of my lessons along the way was that there is no arrival that it is you know perpetual you know you are you know when I was younger I used to think if I just meditated enough and ate in the right way or did yeah. the right practice yeah. or engaged in the right yoga or the right samadhi that I'd be complete and I'd reach this point where I would never have to do anything ever again because I've arrived but um yep. You know, you know, kind of like in line with that electric acid Kool-Aid test bus is this further, this idea of, you know, what's written on the front of that bus is further. No matter where you are or what you get to, there's always, there's always more to know, more to understand, ways to, new ways to connect, new ways to explore, you know. I guess what was really interesting for me along the way was I had, I'm very rational and very you know or have a tendency to be really locked up in my mind and understanding things with my mind and it there was I don't a, think you're alone in that yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Then, and that's cultural as well we're taught yep. that understanding resides in the brain but there's what I realized that there was an urgency to understand but you know after banging my head against infinity enough times I kind of came to a point where it's too big for me to hold in my head like if I investigated any little aspect of philosophy or culture, it, it got to a point where it, it, you know, it diffused out to infinity and there was no solid ground anymore. And it was like, uh, yep. that can be disorienting. And um, what was interesting was to realize that the, it's never, what I'm looking for is never anything I'm going to hold in my head as some real rational sentence or something that I'm going to be able to write down. You know, it wasn't about understanding life. It was about... I guess for me more about falling in love with the mystery. If you're yeah, yeah. in love with life, it doesn't yeah. matter what you understand or don't understand intellectually. You're in this constant process yeah. of of finding out and engaging with and dancing with and you know, you know, and when you're in love with with anything, with like when you're in love with another person, there's the good and the bad and yeah. under that umbrella you can you don't need to be right. You just need to be in love with the moment and that's how you make the and most of it. It gives you everything, all the resources you need all, in that moment yeah. to sort of be the way you need to be perfectly without all that cognition as well. Yeah, look, all that thinking is useful, but it's not, a, it's not the totality. I think that was a big lesson for me is that the totality of my being is not in my thoughts, you know, that there is an embodied presence. There's my heart. There's my body. I mean, you know, even my little toe or my kidney, there's a there is a consciousness you know that exists you know what we experience as consciousness is just your utilitarian day-to-day -day mind it's a very small percentage of yep of all the processing because that's if we on. were if we were tapped into anything more than that we'd probably just be overwhelmed and be incapable of getting the day-to-day -day done right yeah i mean i read this thing that suggested that the mind is actually a filtering organ what it does is it takes a whole lot of data and melds it into into something seamless we call consciousness so we can operate so that's what mm. i meant by the utilitarian mind you need to move stuff you need to eat you need to sleep you have all these practical things that need attention and that surface level of your mind is occupied with with all that happening but there is a whole lot of other processing and information going on 
that unless you take the time to explore doesn't necessarily just show up. Mm, I think it's interesting because there's a, there's a few things I want to touch on, but anyway, I, I think it's interesting because I... Until... I, I guess I can only really speak from my own experience, and until I went into a state of meditation and realised that, you know, like, observed potential other states that are available to me, I never really... I, I guess I wouldn't have seen the value of it unless I experienced it. It's mm-hmm. one of those things. And uh, I think it's kind of something that I've noticed is like, because now I've taken on meditation teacher training and teaching people meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it's been this interesting journey in that there are people, it's, I'm still yet to find people that aren't already open to it to teach, you know, because it's mm-hmm. like they, like, unless. Preaching to the choir. Yeah, it's, oh, they're not so much singing all the time, <laughs> <laughs> preaching to the choir. It's like people have heard about it, which I think in today's day and age is kind of cool because mindfulness yeah. is, is, is out there a little bit more. Like yoga would have been 20 years ago. It's kind of coming in a little bit more. Yeah. Um, and so having a chat about meditation and the different states, it, it avails you um, mm-hmm. connectedness and potentially unity and, you know, all these different things that you can sit with. Mm-hmm. Um, is more easy to broach, but then there are still, not by any judgment, but there are still people that are not open to that, and having that conversation with them is not available. And so I re- I'm aware that those people tend to be the people that are focused in on their one track, one track mindedness is kind of mm. what I'm, I'm. Yeah, it sounds a bit yeah. judgmentally and yeah. uh, but that's kind of what I'm aware of. And yeah, I guess what. As a naturopath, what I've found out is this is where you get disease as teacher, you know, is it's when, you know, a healer's journey often begins with their own wound, right? Yeah. And sometimes for people to step out of that or that aren't ready to hear it, it's, you know, I mean, maybe I've obviously got a bit of a, see a unique cross-section of, of the um, population, but it's usually something goes wrong. You know what I mean? This is disease as teacher or healing mm. crisis or something, you know, like maybe they're going down through their day to day and then um, their digestion stops working properly or something and they go and get medicalized and they get scanned, but nothing really is wrong, you know, and mm. maybe they get a diagnosis of IBS, but it doesn't really fix it and they start living with this chronic degenerative disorder. But yep. basically it's the body trying to tell them that they're living out of outside their parameters, out of line with with their nature, you know, not in any totally. esoteric kind of way, but I'm just talking almost just phys- physiological. Yep. But eventually that question leads them into like, so to get their gut right, they need to think about what they're eating, then they need to think about where food comes from, and then they have to think about how it's processed, and then they have to think about a culture that supports a process that sells people poison as food. And that is the process to their awakening. So everyone goes on their own journey. Yep. I mean, ideally, you know, you don't need a crisis to to step into that. But for a lot of people, it is... Would you, know, you say the majority of people? Well, I know for me, my whole journey started with something like that. You know, yeah. it was a... It was my life wasn't working for me and um, I had to find a way, you know, once I finally took responsibility for that, I had to find a way to make it work for me and then mm-hmm. that sent me on this journey of of discovery about food and well-being and meditation and inner realms and, and culture and relationships and sex and like mm-hmm. it's expanded into everything but it's like uh, I guess the first step is taking was the first step for me was feeling like it was something wasn't quite right yeah you know what I mean and that feeling yeah. intensified until it overwhelmed me sure and then I had to do something about that you know I you know in the end I was intu- institutionalized you know and uh I would see a psychiatrist and they would tell me that I'm crazy and I'm not thinking right and uh-huh. as long as I'm thinking wrong then I'm sick and I need to take <laughs> medication and then I'll be thinking right but yeah. what I was going through get back was, in the box get back in the get box, back in the box. <laughs> what I was, was an existential dilemma but no one was listening to me they were just yeah. sort of trying to brand me and then I ended up in a mental home and after eight weeks there you know I really realized that there was there that's a holding pen, right? When they don't know what else to do with you, yep. you need, and that's useful to a point, but it's not a place that you go to get better. Yep. 
and you know after a lot of stuff in there I got tired of being such a burden to the people that cared about me and I realized that I didn't want to die that my cynicism my paralysis was a symptom of you know more just a symptom of of my dreams being crushed and not having the emotional depth or sensibility on in how to relate to that like looking back on it now I see it like as a in inverted commas as like a spiritual awakening yeah like an initiation, an initiation almost for sure right? for but, sure um, at the time it didn't feel that way and um I think I was just you know that shutdown was a protection mechanism you know yep um but it's what that intensity that crisis is what sort of eventually led me to take responsibility for who I am and it's like all right well if my intrapersonal my relationship to myself and my relationship to the people in my life and the relationship my relationship to the world and how I thought about the world was just causing me to be miserable all the time uh-huh. then that's only going to change if I do something about it right? uh-huh. and so I set on this journey about finding out how to change my inside outside situation whatever I needed to do to try and make it so that my reality wasn't torturous day to day and in order to do that I you know I had to I mean actually that felt good to me you know when I stepped out of hospital the first thing I went and did was a Vipassana meditation and I originally tried to go and the teacher there knew that I I didn't lie I didn't want to lie and I said you know I have this history of mental illness because I had that stigma and I um and he met me decided that I was sane enough to go (laughs) and do the 10 days I guess yeah and I did and that was the first adult decision I made for myself according to what I was really interested in, you know. You know, I had went to a private school, I lived in a kind of insulated community and I got good marks and I enrolled in arts law and mm-hmm. <clears throat> and that was all just because of what I was supposed to do, not yeah, anything to so do much of that, isn't there? with just, what I really yeah. was interested in. Yeah. And um, Vipassana was like, you know, a chance to explore reality and my inner reality and spirituality and mm. and quietness you know I was really what the original question that took me to be passionate was like all right I'm I'm suffering at the moment but I feel pulled in many directions by my family's expectations by my expectations by yep. advertising mass media you know just which I think is really important for people to hear because yeah. that's yeah that's a massive one um I remember like you know I've had after like if I've had a really deep meditative state just going to Coles and just walking down like the cosmetic aisle in particular mm. is this like not it's it's overwhelming but you you sort of look at it really differently it's just like all these mm. airbrushed images are just being poured out at me you know yeah. it's like and it's not just the airbrush images what's what's painful as well is what they're they're playing on your vulnerability and then they're selling you poisons mm. you know what i mean the stuff you put on your skin to maybe not you, but like, you know, more women, let's say makeup or even men, personal care stuff. Mm. A lot of the stuff that they're selling you is full of toxic carcinogens and all kinds of strange stuff that you would not want to put at on the your risk skin, of, you know. At the risk of fully flicking out on a tangent, um, which I love doing, yeah. um, a conversation that could be had around this is something that I realized is, you know, um, let's just have a conversation about tobacco, you know, um, like tobacco is is like a, is a plant that, as a naturopath, I'm sure, mm-hmm. you know, you advocate as has certain properties that can be really beneficial for mm-hmm. an individual. Yeah. Um, but having said that, now, and I bring this in in the vein of just like the insidious, sinister sort of vibe of things, mm-hmm. is that you know now everybody that may potentially have that connection to oh yeah, tobacco is kind of like something that I need, you know, like to to heal whatever's going on. Say it's my stress or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm not really sure what its place is. You probably know better. Mm. But at the same time, now it's like okay, let's just lace that with tar and fifty other chemicals, <laughs> yeah. so that now you actually can't trust your relationship with something that was potentially meant to be so like the medicine. yeah yeah so like you're reaching for tobacco because it's like some part of you might be like oh yeah i need tobacco yeah but then all of a sudden it's like i can't trust myself now i need to quit my medicine because mm. it's full of chemicals yeah you well, know? i think the you know the western model is a lot about commodification you know so mm. it takes it likes to, you know in order to give something value it needs to have a monetary value so you commodify things right and we have a tendency to look at let's say more traditional or find in things that are you know sort of 
have a place in certain indigenous cultures or whatever and then work out what it is in there that's beneficial to them take that refine it soup it up mass produce it right yeah. and it loses some of the original context which is really important yep i think that's where the power of ritual becomes really interesting and it also becomes you know not what it was like you, we tend to isolate a constituent and then focus and fixate on that and then try and soup up that one yeah, constituent. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's but totally, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work it that way. It doesn't like, work that there way. There is a, you know, there's an ecology or a, there's a whole spectrum of phytochemicals that you find yeah. in any herbal medicine and they all work in a really beautiful, intricate Synergy, dance. yeah. And so Synergy. this is something I just want to introduce to the, uh, the listeners is, so they, there's this experiment, right? And basically if I go get an organic carrot, it's got, this certain amount of vitamin C. Yeah, mm-hmm. let's just say for the sake of this conversation, 200 points of vitamin C. Yeah. yeah? And if I go to Coles and get a, I'm not bagging out Coles, I'm just saying a, a widely available carrot, mm-hmm. um, you know, mass produced, not organic, it's still got 200 points of vitamin C, maybe even 250. Yeah. yeah? And so the, the, the wider media presents mm-hmm. this as like, you know, vitamin C Super for vitamin carrot. C. Yeah? yeah. Like it's, it's basically the same, if not better. It's mm-hmm. got more the vitamin C, which is the initial like you said, isolating what we're going for. But on the back of that, the organic carrot has a lot of vitamin K in it, Mm. yeah, which helps the absorption of vitamin C. Whereas the inorganic one, you don't really have that much. Let's say it's got like the organic one has 50 points of vitamin K in it. The inorganic one, the natural one maybe has maybe like let's, Literally, yeah. the the research was like four or five points. Yeah. So yes, you've got heaps of vitamin C, but you're just you're just urinating it through. You know, you're just passing it through. Yeah. You're not really getting the full benefits. And it's interesting in that because the word naturopath, like obviously, has nature written in it. And so, how much like nature has already programmed things to a certain degree that they're already in its purest form really beneficial for us as humans. Um, just to take that a step further, I can feel you. Uh, is um, as an engineer, we did we've done some mod like of there's this basically optimization of a of a of a structure, mm-hmm. and if I erect a straight pillar and put a load on top of it like a flat load, mm-hmm. you'd think that a, a cylindrical pillar would be the ideal sort of structure, but it's not. Th- Two thirds of the way up, it's a it's a pillar, but then it branches out at the top to support the flat load. Mm-hmm. Simply because, and when you look at it, it's like oh my god, it's a tree. Yeah. You know, a hanging load, the optimal load, the shape for a hanging load is an apple. Right. You know, biomimicry. Completely, you know, design, and yeah. you have these conversations with these with these PhDs and in, in structural engineering and architecture, and they're like, and they're completely aware that nature has had so many iterations and so many shots at getting it right mm-hmm. that we're just yeah, biomimicry is our best shot, sort of thing. Yeah. Um, look, I guess there's a few directions to go with that. I mean, what's interesting is. I mean, the first problem with foods and I think with researching herbal medicine is when there's... Science is very good if you can isolate variables, you know. Mm -hmm. A lot of, you know, scientific testing requires the isolating of constituents. If you put more than two, three, four variables into a scientific model to test something, you, you confound your results, right? So testing herbal medicines or foods which have an array of phytochemicals in there that have an array of interactions and, and symbiotic and synergistic features is very hard to research, you know, and right. it's almost, you know, the issue is that that's manipulated by marketing to sell things to people, right? So they <laughs> pick a variable, you know, I heard it called nutritionism, you know, <laughs> they pick something that is flavor of the month, yeah. you know, whether it's high fat or low sugar or vitamin C yeah. content, right? Yeah. And they soup up that one thing in there, but it's completely out of context and it's not healthy. You know, you can get a cookie, you can pump it through a vitamin C, but <laughs> in some ways it's still, you know, a synthetic cookie. It's still a synthetic cookie. Yeah. And you can put on the box five times the RDI of vitamin C, new special vitamin C cookie, and it's misleading to people and it confuses people, you know. Uh-huh. Um, you know, after looking at lots of diets and, you know, studying and being interested in nutrition for years and years, the best thing I can recommend to people is whole food diets. Yeah. You know, as nature intended, the less, you know, the general rule is the more refined or bastardized it is by man, then the less nutritious it is. You know, whether it says how much vitamin C or that much vitamin C on the box is irrelevant. I'm all for whole foods rather than things. I mean, obviously, 
you know, I guess the word is nutraceuticals. I do prescribe them in certain contexts where there's disease states that require, you know, yep. you know, extra doses. But Things have already been thrown out. Foundation is a is a good whole food diet, and I think mm. you know this idea of this reductionist approach of even isolating vitamins and minerals and just talking about foods in terms of this, you know, that content of this one or two nutrients really reduces it. For me, I always think of, <clears throat> you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of new interesting research coming out. It's more a revival of some stuff that was disregarded and then, you know, sort of receiving some validity again about how plants communicate with each other. Mm-hmm. And basically they communicate with each other through a biochemical cascade. They don't have a nervous system. They don't have a mouth. But they've found that they very you know, instantaneously change what biochemicals they're producing in response to environmental stimuli. Yeah, right. And this biochemical cascade is released either through, like, volatile oils into the air. Uh-huh. So let's say a tree, you know, a kilometre away was being attacked by a certain bug. Yep. The attack of that bug would re- chew the leaves and that would release a certain volatile oil into the air that that tree would start producing to defend it against the bugs. Mm-hmm. In research, they've shown that trees one, two kilometers away will start increasing their manufacture. The production of that, that production, in advance. Yeah, as a, you know, as a defense mechanism. So you have this communication that's going on through a biochemical cascade, and that's you know, the, between the trees at a distance, but it's also what drops to the soil and enters into the humus, in, you know, into the soil. And there's evidence that the mycelial network in the soil transports molecules mm-hmm. between plants, and not just between a species but between Cross different species, species right? yeah right so, so like the whole environment is the whole now. environment is tuned in to where everything is at there is a whole ecology and communication that's going with plants and it's not sentience in a way that we traditionally understand but i would kind of like to think of that you know like i was looking at my niece the other day and she is quite little and the way she her first way of understanding anything is she puts it in her mouth yeah right you know that's primary Freud will call it the oral stage, but, you know, leaving all the Freudian sort of stuff outside. It's like (laughs) our body, the first way our intelligent systems of our body develop is through through taste, ingestion, you know. So I kind of think, you know, you've got this idea that then plants communicate through their biochemical cascade that we first start learning by putting things in our mouth. I think food is not actually just about reduced to nutritional value i think what's really interesting about food is when we start thinking about it as a communication you know as a mm-hmm. language plants communicate through their biochemistry you know uh-huh. and our cell the cells in our body our digestive system the bacteria in our gut know how to interpret the language of what that plant is saying to you you know yeah if you're eating healthy broccoli, it's like a good conversation, you know. Yep. If you're eating, you know that idea in sort of a lot of life coaching that you are the six people you spend the most time with, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's true in a very intimate way with the food, food as you well. eat yeah, because brilliant. they're all conversations, right? Yeah, yeah. And if you look at the crazy biochemical cascade that goes on in metabolism of even just simple foods, you know, and nutrient pathways and liverpool and metabolism and the communication that has with the bacteria in your gut every Mm. time you eat it's telling you it's it's a dialogue right yep and um the plant's telling you about the state of the earth about the state of thing like that's why eating seasonally becomes important those plants are telling your body it's winter because they know it's winter yep those other plants are telling your body that it's summer you know and so i like to think of nutrition not just in terms of do i get enough vitamin c but what kind of conversation am I having? You I think know? this this topic of conversation is really, for me, really poetic because I um I'm aware that conversation is a lot of conversations about expression, yeah. Mm. And so taking on the idea that my food is about me having a good conversation internally mm-hmm. um, really resonates. First of all, <laughs> so even the word expression that. is great because what you're talking about is gene expression that occurs. Yeah. Different genes are expressed depending mm. on what you're eating in your diet. There's cell signaling going on, you know, that is uh, telling your cells what to make and how much to make and how fast to do it and all, and all this cell signaling and gene expression is yeah. going on in is your expression of and that's kind your of, half of the conversation. Yeah, maybe. brilliant. And so, I, and as, like, for me, the whole journey of as within, so without, so the mm-hmm. whole, like, the whole thread through that is the deeper cellular level that you're having these better conversations. Yeah. I guess my belief, which mm-hmm. 
it may not be shared by all and may not be validated but my corner like I, I deeply believe this and I can feel it coming from you as well is that the better the conversation I'm having inside myself mm-hmm. not just in my head but like in the food that I'm having I guess is the the clearer I am to have a better conversation with the world and my immediate yeah. environment and the external and then world the better and the earth you will be living in you know like that conversation of where the plants come from depends on the health of the soil the health of the environment the health of the water the the mm. love put in, I mean, you don't have to get that esoteric, but basically how that plant has been nurtured then informs your body what it's taking from it, which then informs totally your relationship to your external environment, you know, and that then shapes totally. what you're putting into your body. And so if my food is under stress, I'm likely to be placed under stress. Yeah, well, I mean, what's it? it starts to get complicated because sometimes stressing your food a little bit before you eat it increases the nutritional value in some ways, right? There's mm-hmm. this really interesting concept called hormesis. Mm-hmm. And it's probably like the best engineering analogy is like pre-stressed concrete. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's not exactly like that, but when you stress a cell a little bit, like uh-huh. the right amount of stress, it primes it so that when a stronger stress is introduced, all those defense mechanisms are primed and ready to go. Brilliant. So, you know, a certain amount of stress is good, yeah. right? Um, but that would be a, a metered amount. Yeah, a metered amount. I mean, a little bit of stress of your plants is not the same as, you know, sort of current environmental practices, yeah. current agricultural practices. Getting hectares and hectares and hectares and hectares and just planting the same thing. Well, yeah, yeah, planting the same thing and using that much chemicals. Like all that chemical sort of residue and pesticides, yeah. herbicide residue is problematic, you know? Yeah. Um, it's um, yeah I. Yeah, I'm gonna share it. Um, even though it's another tangent. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, so like one of my favorite places to visit is Brazil, mm-hmm. and um, my best mate, he's a farmer in Brazil, and he's got this beautiful uh, land on this area, which is it's called Chapata Diamantina, which is a diamond ranges in Brazil north mm-hmm. in a state called Bahia, which is nine hours inland from. Salvador, which was the old capital, very when like they were trading slaves from Africa, mm. Salvador was still the capital back then. And um, to cut a long story short, adjacent farmers to him mm-hmm. have used seeds from companies like, let's say, Monsanto and stuff like that. Yeah. Now, when you buy the Monsanto seed, you have to buy the Monsanto fertilizer, the Roundup. Yeah. Now. It's great because one person will have a couple of amazing harvests. Like, the food looks phenomenal. Like, when he grows corn, it's like, what, you know? Um, Just a disclaimer, like, my friend, he's completely, like, a hobby farmer, completely organic. Like, you know, you wake up and it's like, let's go plant a mango tree somewhere. You get on a couple of horses and you just go for a ride. You know, it's the best. Um, But there's people adjacent to his property that have, you know, and then... It's a bit insidious because people see other people planting these seeds and getting an amazing crop, yeah. and they intend and they, they they get hooked in by it. You know, this person is obviously making a lot more money than I am, mm-hmm. and these are not people that have just started farming practices. These have been farming families for hundreds, if not longer, years. You mm-hmm. know, this is Brazil. This is you know South America. This is their this is their daily bread. Yeah. Now what? actually happens and this is what he was describing to me is that the chemical fertilizer actually acts as a if you look at it it's like almost the only way i can really explain it it's like a mesh it's like a chemical mesh that goes over your ground and seeps in and for sake of arguments let's easily explain it there's like in this mesh it's either circular or square or rectangular or hexagonal and out of the hexagon only hexagons will grow out of circles only circles will grow Mm -hmm. now those circles only talk to the seeds (laughs) that are available from that company Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so now you did your first season you grew seeds to get the seeds going you need to apply the fertilizer now you've got let's say corn is a circle so you've got this circle grid which grows corn out of it now, if you try to plant anything but corn because of how tight that grid is, you yeah. cannot grow anything but corn, and you can't even... There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Well, yeah, like you just said, you cannot grow someone else's corn. Yeah. And that practice is, you know, like you can see that there's a massive benefit for the person that's selling the seed and the fertilizer. I totally understand that. And, you know, capitalism is the way that it is. Yeah. But obviously when we start doing some research into these chemicals and what's going into them and all that sort of stuff, it's, you know, I think that's where this slope, this slippery slope begins and people start, if you're not having a conversation about it already, it's time to have a conversation about what am I putting in myself and, you know, why am I so, I think a question that arose for me is why am I so disempowered? Like in terms of awareness um, and initially it felt like I can't even make the right choices because it can be so overwhelming initially mm. I'm sure you get people in that boat as well it's like now it's you know there's there's so much that's wrong with my food yeah. you know and the way that it's that it's presented yeah um that can get confusing definitely yeah people, yeah but um I think what I really wanted to sort of like through this conversation that we've been having is and you've touched on it quite a few times is the this journey of coming into yourself and realizing what you're ingesting is also you know becoming yourself and that conversation that you're having with yourself mm-hmm. it's also what I'm picking up is it's not just a conversation about the food that I'm eating because it quickly morphs into other things you know like a movement practice or a stillness practice and it's like it quickly morphs into all these other areas of self-awareness mm-hmm. um, and then in that I'm really intrigued by your story because what I've come to observe is that yes, there's been this massive shift of like, you know, this internal coming in and then realizing that there's all this that sort of needs navigating, but then coming to a point where it's not just your food that is unraveling the story. It's the food that helps you unravel the story, but then it's not just what I'm eating. It's also about my health is my movement, my stillness, but also my highest expression, Mm. my life expression. Mm -hmm. Like, what am I doing? And you mentioned this before. It's like, you know, what is my innate nature? Mm. You know, and that's your health. And so this is a message that I've been carrying around in my heart for a while, and I've been trying to share it with as many people that will listen. But for me, and this is a big driver of this this whole podcast, is that health and purpose... Mm -hmm for me, are one and the same. Mm-hmm. Completely one and the same. Yeah. You like, And the, the, it's brilliant because I've got this example, which is Beyonce. <laughs> yeah? yeah. So Beyonce has got like, she's been documented to, lo- to go three days without sleep and food. Mm-hmm. Just shooting video after video after video after video. Right. Yeah. And I obviously attribute that to her being in her flow. Mm-hmm. Um, but how can you lose, like, not sleep for three days, high-energy videos, you've seen her dance, yeah? So this is Beyonce dancing, mm. and no food to support that, mm. yeah? So for me, that is, she's living out her purpose, and she, like, natural energy just arrives, you know, the universe, like, you know, I'm getting esoteric again, yeah. but the universe supports your mission, your mm. like, what you're here to do. Yeah. Um, but if I literally rocked up to Beyonce and said, here's a shovel, can you please dig holes for the next three days without sleep and food? Mm. I don't think she'd make it through the first 20 minutes. Yeah. And so, you know, that's her not being on purpose and not having health and energy and vitality and longevity to do it. Mm -hmm. And so that's been a massive thing for me and I really wanted to share that and I think that's what I've been hearing from you through this as well. Yeah. Well, um, 
Look, I think you can get like um, locked into an identity around what's possible and not possible, you know, and that can be very limiting, but that's, I guess, maybe its own tangent as well. Um, look, I mean, in some ways it's interesting, and, you know, as a naturopath, like it's what's the health for, right? Because mm. a lot of people, you know, I'll, they'll get healthy or, you know, and uh, it'll restrict or impinge on what they enjoy in life so much that it's not, one, it's not sustainable, mm-hmm. and two, I'm not sure if it's really serving them, you know, like to so, health for health's sake. Well, even in that note, like, again, I don't want to cut you off, but I, I, I struggled with that for nine years. So for me, it was um, the gym, you know, I was totally a gym bro for nine years. I was fresh, like coming out of like going from high school to uni. Mm. Um, it was the gym, all my, like, and it was just socially the thing to do. You know, I yeah. loved lift pumping iron, looking great in a t-shirt, you know, going out on the weekends and with my friends and, you know, being celebrated for being big. Um, and then after a while, like after nine years of doing this, um, I couldn't like, I didn't do a lot of flexibility work, didn't stretch a lot, Mm. you know, and that was actually a massive where a lot of this, actually my journey started shifting. Actually my spiritual sort of journey started kicking in because I was going to the gym for nine years. And I was lifting all the right weights. I was eating all these protein powders. I was doing everything the fitness magazines told me to do. Yeah. yeah? So it was this idea of, and I realized now, looking back, that I was fit, but I wasn't healthy. Yeah. And I used the word fit because I was fitting into the image of what society was projecting onto me to be. Yeah. So I totally fit that image, mm-hmm. but I was not healthy. If it wasn't for caffeine, I could not make it to the gym. I could not make it, I could not even make it really like out the door in the morning without caffeine. Yeah. And so that whole journey was like this massive realization of after nine years, I realized that basically I can't, it happened when I went to my first day at work, I had to plug in my computer under my desk and I was so big and immobile (laughs) that like, it was like to get under my desk, I couldn't do it without like, uh, like making noise, like an old man, you know, like literally like an old man, like to get under a desk, like I look great in a shirt, but to get under a table and like mobility, And actually plugging a computer was a challenge. Yeah. And at that point I realized, what have I been, what have I been working for? Like now that I've finally landed the job that I was meant to have, Mm -hmm. I'm going to be at a desk for about at least four to six hours of the day. I've got a massive chest to what, to move a mouse? Like (laughs) this this really doesn't make sense. And I think that's a really uh, amazing point that you raise like health for what sake. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's a bit different. I guess there's, you know, there's different trainings that's more about longevity and being in your... That comes as you get older and you realize that you've got to look after yourself. Otherwise, the, your body stops serving you and you end up with privation. Your world shrinks. You know, yeah. If your body stops working in bits and pieces, your world shrinks, you know, and that's... Yeah, right. Totally. That's really relevant as you get older in, in what way you're restricted and your capacities are restricted. But, I mean, it's also like... um. If that's really what you wanted, though, let's say it wasn't just about vanity or whatever, you felt really connected to weightlifting, and that's where you want to use your life credits, and that's your choice. I'm not here to say Mm. do or don't do that, you know, but that's kind of what I mean. If you felt like your purpose was through bodybuilding or whatever, I'm saying obviously in your case it wasn't, Wasn't. (laughs) but I'm sort of not judgmental of people's choices of how they want to use their credits, you know, Mm. but I think some people get, look, even, you know, health... Health is its own reward in its own way, that vitality, that thing. And I guess you start having to get into definitions of what healthy, Mm. you know, really means. But um, there's an interesting new movement called like the flexitarian or maybe the opportunivore. They're sort of of names for the same thing. But it's this idea that, you know, I guess from an evolutionary perspective, it's always survival of the fittest, right? Mm -hmm. And in Western culture, we always take that as the alpha male, the biggest, the strongest is the fittest. But if you look in nature, it's not necessarily the biggest and the strongest, it's that which can most adapt to its environment, you know? Adaptability. Adaptability, flexibility, right? And that sort of is very consistent with a lot of yogic teachings, you know? It's Uh about, you know, that flexibility in your body is about flexibility in your identity, your yeah. mind, you know, and that flexibility is what allows for the union to take place between, if you're so caught in your identity and your ego, there'll be no samadhi, there'll be no thing. The practice of being able to be more flexible in your body is more flexible in your spirit to allow you to dissolve past 
you know, the ego into union with the oneness, you know, and um, I kind of take, you know, I think that that's relevant for your health as well, you know, like <clears throat> sometimes strength is being able to have that beer or eat that piece of cake or be with whatever is going on in that moment. Mm -hmm. um, it's not necessarily about rigidity and I'm this, I'm a vegan, I'm a that, I'm a that, these boxes, maybe they work for bits and pe you know, people totally. at, at certain times, but... I think fundamentally, you know, these these flexitarians they work on a kind of an eighty twenty rule. If you're eighty, you know, healthy with your mm. you know foundational sort of health practices, then you twenty percent of the time, if you want to break out of that mold to indulge in your life in whatever way, then mm. then that's sort of relevant. I mean, I you think can it's important as well because on some level, the way I see it is like, like yes, okay, you do you like like you let's say you're out for the argument's sake, just because it fits really easily. You're a hardcore vegan. Um, mm. But if it doesn't resonate with you all the time, that other 20% of the time, it can be nourishing for your emotional being or your soul, if you will, you know? Mm. Like, you can't just always be focusing on your body. Like, sometimes your mind needs to be fed and sometimes letting go. Like, for an example, I'm a vegetarian, but if my mum cooks meat, mm. I'm going to eat it, <laughs> you yeah. know, because it's my mum's cooking and that feeds yes. my soul. Yeah, and there's a strength in non-attachment too as well, you mm -hmm. know, like uh, if you're attached to a way of eating, you know, there is um, there is a real strength in, and discipline in, in bending as allowing well. Allowing it to, know, yeah, allowing. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's also how you want to use your credit, like Beyonce, if she can... She wants to burn for three days making music, doing what she loves, dancing, la la la. Even if that isn't the healthiest way for her to be, you, mm. everyone, everyone burns. So you, you know, you get to choose how to use your Do credits. Do you think credits arrive, like more credits can potentially arrive if you're more in line with what you're here to do as an individual? Um, I think when you're aligned, you know, there's different ways to think about it but when you're aligned there's maybe less resistance or there's more mm. motivation or more passion and that can drive things way beyond our current expectations of what you think is possible you know like uh -huh. i think we all have very strong self-limiting beliefs you know i think we have a tendency to get locked in an identity you know and there's an it's interesting in naturopathy there's a sign in the iris called arcus senilis and basically it's calcium deposits in the iris you know and you see it in older people and it's a calcification right. and that calcification occurs on a tissue level if you see it in the iris there's likely some sort of calcification or stiffening of the arteries and muscles and it's a rigidity that occurs mm -hmm. you know over time but you also notice when you see that sign what i've noticed and what's in the literature a little bit is that there's also a calcification in identity it's harder like the whole idea uh, you can't teach an old yeah. dog new tricks and you know staying staying fluid staying flexible staying connected to what fuels you i think um and letting go maybe a little bit of who you think you are and going to this kind of comes back to what i was saying before instead of knowing who you are instead of being locked in the rational yep. if you're in love with the mystery then you're in this process of finding out who you are right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that provides a lot of freedom i think you know it and sometimes just a small shift can make a big you know a big difference if you use someone who says i don't like parties every party you go to all you're going to do is protect <laughs> that identity of, not i like don't it. like yeah. parties if yeah. you take this more you know less rigid sort of thing and don't get locked into identity you can come to a party and you may or may not like it but you're in this process of unfolding self-discovery and that's being in love with the mystery and that's not locking yourself into a certain identity and then what that can change in your life or what then is possible I think is very is very very different or that's what I've noticed in my own life you know just a small change in my expectations of certain situations has allowed me to come to them in new ways that have allowed new possibilities and things to arise that I would never have really been able to tap into if I brought my identity to that situation. Was this something that occurred, well naturally I suspected is, is um, something that occurred on your journey to setting up the Urban Wellness Project? Um, look, even that was like, um, I mean maybe, you know, everyone has got their own style and I guess I'm not particularly directive or ambitious in my life. For me what I've, you know, what I've 
what I would like to cultivate in myself for, I guess, success, you know, whatever the hell that word means, <laughs> is like being able to lean deeper into life, being able to lean deeper into trust, daring mm. to be, I mean, trusting, you know, involves vulnerability, you know. Yeah, so big time. Being able to be more vulnerable, being able to to dare to believe that a better world is possible you know it's mm. really easy to tear stuff down you know it's really easy to be cynical but i think like i was saying before a bit that cynicism is protecting a wound you know a wound of constant disappointment and then you relabel that cynicism realism you know and yeah that gets you locked into gets deeper into a certain way of being you know what i what i see as success is can I keep my eyes open, my chin up and my heart open? You know what I mean? Can I, when I was younger, I used to think that, and this is probably what got me down, but I used to think that the wise man was destined to be sad because there was so much grief, so much grief. And even the lightest weight, if you hold it for long enough, becomes really, really (laughs) heavy, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Yeah, it does make sense. And there was, I guess, a leap forward in my own evolution where I sort of, well, how much wiser is the man that can see all of that and still find a way to find, to be happy, to be mm. content, you know? And that went even further into like, can I dare to believe that a more beautiful world is possible, you know? And that involves, that invo- you know, the first step of that is I want to keep my eyes open. I don't want to hide from truth. I want to see it as it is, but mm. I want to see it as it is and love it anyway, you know, yeah. no matter yeah. what, you know, can I see truth as it is and still keep my heart open and what I see as success for me is you know I guess is keeping that heart open and what I've what I feel like I've learned is that the more I trust in the unfolding of my life and my journey and the mystery and the magic and connection and the less I try and control it or project on it or overly rationalize it or try and make too much sense of it the more i can lean into the flow of this unfolding and be with what is available in the presence to move me into the next moment the more magic happens the more beautiful my life has become the more synchronicity the more richness you know and uh, i'm not talking from any metaphysical standpoint i'm just talking about from an experiential standpoint yep stepping into that way of being has opened up my world to experiences and people that I would never have otherwise had access to. So for me, it's more, success has been more about trusting in that unfolding and learning to fall in love with the mystery. And that's, that's sort of what guides me. It's not like I'm even starting this urban wellness project. I'd been traveling and I'd gotten a lot of, out of all of that and engaged in certain practices and I came back and I was in a really good space and a friend put a camera in my face and said what are you going to do now <laughs> what are you going to do with that you know and yeah. you know if you if you don't do anything to give that back is that just sort of masturbation you know? <laughs> like spiritual, mental, yeah, spiritual, spiritual masturbation <laughs> um, yeah. you know and I read in this book and all these things came together I was reading this book and a line in there really stuck with me at some point in your life you need to stop drinking wine and start making wine you know mm. and that's that's really interesting because this is something I, I really have noticed um, that's quite like consistent even in the last um, interview that I did was it comes to a point where something gives you so much that at that point it's just giving you so much you can't help but give back. Yeah. And you want to share it, you know? Yeah. I know when I'm doing some weird hippie heebie jeebie or weekend away, if I'm sitting in there going, oh, you know who needs to do this? My mum needs to do this. Or my friend. Yeah. I'm already looking for people that I want to share it with. Yeah. That's yeah. telling me that I really enjoying it. And yeah. I'm really getting some, something out of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. almost a beautiful human compulsion, you know. I mean, on this journey to find out what it means to be human, there's some real challenges and shadow stuff, but there's some real beauty I've discovered as well. And again, I don't know if I'm dealing with a different subset of the population, but you know, and I found this speaking to a psychologist friend of mine as well, and she sort of echoed this idea that, you know, I'm seeing all these people in crisis and really difficult situations, and there's this commonality of they're all striving to be better, you know. Yep whether it's to be healthier or to manage this disease better <coughs> or be better to the people in their life. You know, even these people in deep crisis, you know, I do a lot of work with mood disorders as a naturopath and, you know, I'm seeing people in crisis and they're still like 
you know, I want to stop burdening my partner. Uh, I want to love my parents and honor what they've given me in the right way. And I feel like I can't and I can see all this help that I'm getting or Uh there's this constant beautiful thing about humanity of striving to be better, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and if you really, if you really get philosophical or at least Western philosophical about it, there's no real fundamental reason why that happens. There's no, (laughs) you know, existential (laughs) philosophy is, there is no specific meaning or purpose for mankind but what's beautiful is in the face of these existential dilemmas is you see these people striving nonetheless yep. for more for better for beauty for other people for a better life for themselves and for others and that's real kind of triumph of the human spirit stuff that i find really mm. beautiful and almost ties back to what we we're saying before with like a you know the disease as teacher you know it can be a real wake-up call but it can also be a real what i've gotten as being a naturopath and being able to witness people in these situations is a real a real witnessing of the beauty of the triumph of the human spirit like how Mm. beautiful it is with terminal cancer to like be sitting there trying to make your mum feel better about it or your family feel better about it you know it's not about me and la 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 but like the strength of character and the heart you know rendering tenderness that happens when you see someone vulnerability that vulnerability and then still trying to protect the people in their lives you know Mm. i'm dying of breast cancer but i'm still just trying to make my mum feel better about it you know that is huge and to be able to witness that is a privilege but there's a real there's some real you know real beauty in there that's inspiring yeah that's really really deep and really poetic that's yeah yeah, we've both got a friend that's suffering at the moment mm. on some level and she is the embodiment of grace through this whole process. She always has been, but even through this process, it's been amazing just to witness, to witness the, the journey yeah. and just, yeah, again, the grace is phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing to be say that if you... We want these guarantees, but there's nothing to say that if you're living what you feel is your purpose, that you just going to be healthy necessarily or have the vitality you know sometimes your disease points you to a different purpose you know or a different you know and again it comes back to that flexibility and to be humble and to stay real with what where your journey takes you at that moment and what's required from you you i still wonder if the stress of the of the disease or whatever manifests is still part of some sort of process that is being triggered to put you on a path that is in line with where you're meant to be going yeah um you know that's that's yeah maybe i'm a bit too rigid in my philosophy on that um it's you know it's a there's no direct answer to that yeah of course right but of course if you have the choice you might as well think like that (laughs) (laughs) yeah Um, you know again without getting into the metaphysics you know for me i go with experiential wisdom because metaphysics can sort of be argued by like for myself like it's a richer life it's a more beautiful dreaming of this life Mm. um when you surrender into trust when you take with what's what's there and what's present for you whether it's disaster or triumph you know you almost deal Mm. with those two imposters the same but when you when you when you with what is it um it's a richer life if you trust in what is you know then it's a richer life i think i guess what i was saying before with the mind being a filtering organ and you're you know going through your day to day is we're all dreaming our own lives we all Mm -hmm. you know even philosophy and science has kind of showed us that our reality is a fiction our mind fills in the blanks in order to create a seamless experience that allows us to even function, that is radically subjective know. yeah yeah even that <laughs> so then where you have the responsibility and the opportunity is to lead a rich life is you get to dream your own your own existence brilliant you know, and no one else can tell you what that is yeah and that is both an amazing responsibility and sometimes a crushing burden you know uh-huh. but you know living in the light of that is is 
you know, like I said, I don't, I want to keep my eyes open to the most truth that I can understand and see. So then that's radical responsibility for your dreaming, right? And then it's just like, well, what kind of life do you want to dream for yourself? What kind wow. of life, what kind of dreaming are you going to bring into this reality, you know? And that's the responsibility and that's your choice, you know? And if there's no one that can tell you otherwise. And so for me, it's then, if that's my foundations, then I want to dream myself a beautiful world and I mm -hmm. dare to believe, I dare to dream a world that's that's bigger and beautiful, you know? Any advice for those listening that struggle to dare to dream? Hmm. Um, I think, look, and I, I read this thing and I actually didn't really love the poem, but I loved the, the analogy or the metaphors, this idea of the trapeze artist. And um, in order to move from one rung to the next, there's a period where you have to let go. Yeah. You know, and there's that space in the middle where you're holding nothing <laughs> before you grab onto the next rung. If you never let go of yeah. the one you're holding, you'll never get on to the next one, you know. And this sort of little, the trapeze or the trapeze artist, um, I think it's called, I don't know, but... It sort yeah. of goes on to suggest that actually the moment when you're most alive is when you're between holding the past one and you haven't gone on to the future one. Of course. And you've got no, no net underneath you and yeah. you're, you're not holding on to anything. <laughs> you're between everything and you're flying yeah. or you're soaring or, you know, and it's kind yeah. of like a... And it might feel like falling. <laughs> it might feel like falling. And I think what I've maybe, maybe more practical advice that I've got from from my practice and from naturopathy and from myself and from my clients, you know, is a lot of people come in crisis, an emotional crisis, you know, let's say if, if we're looking at mood disorders. And, you know, this is something I learned. I guess I put it in the phrase, don't have an existential crisis before breakfast. But what I really mean <laughs> is, is um, you know, if you're having an emotional crisis, don't try and necessarily work it out with your brain, you know, don't necessarily just try and make that decision in a rational way yep. with the brain, you know, put yourself in a good place, you know, be out in nature, feed yourself some good food, engage in your creative outlets, mm. let go of the story in your mind for a little bit and don't worry about contracting around that problem that just causes contraction and for me it just makes my head spin and it creates anxiety the same frequency yeah. around, around a little but bit. if i step out of that and i nature or movement or exercise right. or communication or good food spend three days putting yourself if you're really in crisis spend three days or you've got an intractable problem, mm. spend three days putting yourself in a good space, or yeah. however long it takes you, it's different for different people. From that good space, that pr that problem doesn't look the same. Sure. You, I, for me, I found that my thinking follows my state of being. So if I have a problem that I can't think my way through, the first thing for me to do is put myself in the right state of being, or mm. better, there is no right, but mm -hmm. there are things that you do that you know nourish you, and it's different for everyone. Everyone has a different creative outlet. Yep. Everyone has a different way of switching off. Everyone has different dietary needs. Everyone has different relationships. But lean into the things that you know are nurturing for you for a bit. Mm -hmm. And then once you've reached a new state of being, then come back to that problem and diffuse of that energy and from a different standpoint, it, it's a completely different problem. And sometimes that problem is actually irrelevant, you know? Yeah, and I think from a real practical point of view, it's Oscar Wilde said, "Cure the soul by the senses." You know, if you confuse and you don't know what that next step is, don't worry about what that next step is. First, work on yourself. Put yourself totally. in the right place, and from that space, for me anyway, that's where I can step into trusting in that unfolding, and the good things come. Yeah, yeah. I think also what I've been hearing you share is that um, that stress is simply a catalyst to change perhaps you know and if you have the right relationship to stress it can be yeah, yeah and that's what it's asking you yeah you know it's like your 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 peripheral sort of awareness your subconscious if you will is you know asking you to make a shift and you know i think a lot of us in you know we'll just one more coffee and it'll be all right you know like mm. soldier on and i think that's what you touched on as well with the testament of the human spirit even in the face of sickness um it still finds such a noble way to execute um but 
I think there's a lot to be said for taking some time out for ourselves and mm. you know and really exploring what it is that we want to do yeah, yeah. Um, so quickly <laughs> just before we tie things up if there was one piece of advice you could give to your 20 year old self mm. what con- what would you be saying in that conversation Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I think it's kind of that thing that I keep coming back to is forget trying to understand life and just practice falling in love with the mystery. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. The most beautiful and potent things in life, some of the most beautiful and potent things in life are invisible and unquantifiable. Yeah. Love, (laughs) grace, passion... Yeah, gratitude. Can't really, gratitude. Yeah. These things can't be measured, you know. Don't try and think it through with yeah. your head, you know. Get out of the head, get back into the body, get into the heart, fall in love with the mystery. Love it. And if there was one book, I know this is going to be a challenge, <laughs> one book. If this is hard, you can answer the question yeah. what's the book you've shared the most with people? But what's one book that mm. you would. I love the book Siddhartha by Herman Hesse. Siddhartha. Yeah. It's kind of a loose biography of the Buddha, but it's not really the Buddha. But I feel like it it brings that story back to human terms, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, the struggle for meaning and for transcendence and, and um, in a very real, a very real way, you know? I don't know. As soon as I say that, I have 50 other books. I know, I know. <laughs> no, no, no. You can only pick yeah. one. You can only pick one. No, you can only pick one. You can only pick one. That's the whole, that's the whole thing about this. Siddhartha, read it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really want to thank you for coming today. For those that tuned in, Sam, he's available at the Urban Wellness Project. It's an amazing place. Um, you know, we've recently experienced personally, um, you know, some trauma in the family and it's one of those rare gems like I've, you know, been on this path with, you know, just taking a lot of herbs and supplements myself, which are, you know, of, of, of the natural nature. And then when something hit my family, it was, you know, a matter of where do we turn to for advice and I'll never forget, you know, walking into the Urban Wellness Project and it's just this little haven and then you've got Sam and his and his um and his co founder in there and it's just the advice it's just a wellspring of information that just is presented in the most structured, beautiful way through this amazing being, um, on a beautiful mission to just you know, explore the question of what does living well really mean? And it gives so much space for the individual expression that we all are different and that's going to mean something different to all of us. And it really, I feel the honor and the love in all of that. And it's just been an absolute blessing to have you here today, brother. And thank you so much for, yeah, just sharing all like such infinite wisdom with, with the, the lot of us. Thank you. I feel honored for you to invite me here to speak and that you're, you know, we share a beautiful connection and we have lots of great conversation and I have a lot of respect for you so the fact that you invite me here to talk is really uh, really um, encouraging and, and nourishing and humbling I'm so and humbled <laughs> so humbled thank you brother love you Everything. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.